believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. We pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 14. As Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, the next generation, about to go into the promised land. And he's explaining to them when they get there, how they're going to live their lives and what to expect. And he says in verse 22, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain and the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds of your flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you're you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, wine or similar drink, For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. And at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year, stored up within your gates, and the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. Now, when we think about Israel, the previous generation was very generous, even though they didn't enter into the promises. If you recall, after God gave the instructions for the tabernacle to be built, they took an offering, or as we'd say, received an offering in the back part of Exodus, and the people had plundered the Egyptians. God said when they were coming out of Egypt with the Passover that he would plunder the Egyptians. The Egyptians would give the Israelites who had been slaves, all their wealth when they left. It's like God made retribution. He made it right when they were leaving. And they left, and so they had all this wealth. And then they get out in the wilderness to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments, and they make the covenant with God. And then they need to build the tabernacle. And so God says through Moses, now we need the stuff with the gold, the silver, the brass, and the wood, and all the fine linens to build the tabernacle. So the people came willingly, and they gave so much that they had to tell them to stop giving. That's interesting because that is actually something that this generation's parents did in the wilderness. So they were willing to give that wealth that they received, but of course they, were, they worshipped the golden calf, which was wickedness, and they refused to enter in at Kadesh Barina, which was unbelief. But to their credit, their parents had been generous with their wealth in the building of the tabernacle. So when they looked at that tabernacle, when Moses is saying this, they can look at Exhibit A and know that their parents who died in the wilderness in unbelief were generous with the wealth they had when they came out of Egypt. Also, of course, being Israelites and being descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can go back and look a little bit about their forefathers. Abraham, of course, all the Jews. Abraham is the chief of all the Jews. He's the the head of the race, the, the ethnic people group, Abraham. 
And we know that when Abraham rescued Lot, his nephew, when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were overrun by the confederation of kings, Chedorlaomer, about 2000 BC in that region of Syria, Israel, modern Lebanon, that Abraham had a standing army of about 250 people that were his employees. And they went and rescued, they went up into Syria, up that way toward Turkey in that area, and they rescued Lot, all the people, all the wealth. And they came back, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah came out, and before they came out, Melchizedek appeared to Abraham, and then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of his increase. So he tithed to Melchizedek. So the the phrase tithe comes from the term one-tenth. Tithe is one-tenth. If you never knew that, it's considered one-tenth. So Abraham... Before the law came, before this instruction ever came, 400 years prior, he gave a tithe to this Melchizedek, who, of course, is in the book of Hebrews. He has no beginning, no ending. He's the king of Salem, which is king of peace. Possibly what we call theophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, or uh, an angel as a type of Christ. At any rate, Abraham tithed. So it was in his heart to tithe. Then the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah said, hey, you keep all the wealth because you rescued it, but give us the people. And isn't that like human governments? They want the people because people are the greatest assets because people produce wealth. So the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah said, you can keep the wealth that you brought back. We want the people. That's the workforce. And, and remember what Abraham said? He goes, look, I'm not taking a sandal strap from you lest you say that you made Abraham wealthy. Abraham was basically saying, I'm wealthy because God has blessed me, not because you corrupt evil kings are blessing me. So keep all your gold, keep all your silver, keep the people Keep everything. I'm taking nothing from you. So at the same time, he tithed of his wealth to Melchizedek. He also told the kings of the world, you can have it all. Because I don't want you to say for one moment at any concept in the economy of God that you even gave me a dime. Nothing came from you. God has blessed me. God has given me promises. He gave me a a son of promise from the woman who was barren. God has given me the land that you were going to fight over for until the Lord comes back the second time. He gave me this land. But even when God gave Abraham that land, it said that Abraham lived in tents, as did his children and his grandchildren. They never built a house. That's why Hebrews says that they looked for the city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. They were pilgrims. They were tent dwellers. Because they looked for the heavenly city. They truly had an eternal perspective. And when Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven where thieves and moth cannot destroy, Abraham is exhibit A because that's who he was. That's who Isaac was and Jacob and the rest. Also, interestingly enough, Isaac, the son of promise, when he came of age and he inherited the wealth of his father, began no houses. When there was contention over the wells that belonged to his dad, he said, you can have that, the well of contention, the well of strife. He said, I'm not going to fight over that. You can do that. But we also read of Isaac there in Genesis 26, and it said, he sowed in the land, he began to sow, and he sowed a hundredfold, and he, he, he began to prosper, he became very prosperous, and he prospered in all that he did. The term prosperous is used uh, in three different forms in the two verses there describing his life. And he increased a hundredfold. Now, what's amazing about Isaac's increase is it was during a famine. He sowed bountifully in a famine, and he reaped a hundredfold. So his father Abraham was like this with Melchizedek and the kings of Sodom. Then he sowed during a famine. He didn't fight over the wells that belonged to his dad. He let it go. He gave it to the Lord. In a world of givers and takers, Abraham was a giver. Isaac was a giver. And they were surrounded by takers. And they forgave, and they went forward, and they trusted in the Lord. Very, very important. 
So now we come to the context here where this nation of two million people are going to go in and get the land. Everything they're going to have is from the Lord. God's already said, the vineyards you inherit, you didn't plant those vineyards. They're great vineyards. The wells, you didn't dig them. They're everything you need. The olive groves, you didn't plant those olive trees. The fig trees, you didn't, I'm giving it all to you. I mean, they are inheriting the nation of Israel. And on the planet this day, Israel is the third largest exporter of flowers and goods to the world. This is a very fruitful land to this day, Israel. And he gave it to them. He's given them the best. We've already seen that as we've been going through Deuteronomy. And so he says, when you're in the land and you're prospering, this is what you're going to do. Now, he made it very clear, we've already seen this as well, that he's their provider. He's their protection. He's going to give them the early rain, the latter rain, and he's going to protect them from their adversaries. I just finished Chronicles, and it's interesting how the kings with faith, like uh, Jehoshaphat and stuff, they'd be tested and they'd bring revival, and they'd send out teachers to teach the Bible, the law of God in the different cities, and then they'd be attacked, but because they had faith, they could call on the Lord for deliverance, and the Lord would deliver them from the Ethiopians and others because they're in a good place. But someone like Ahab, who was an evil and wicked king, who stole Naboth's vineyard and killed him and had him executed, he can't call on the Lord. So the, the, the head of a horse is going to be of food and value in the city of Samaria when people are starving because they can't call on the Lord for provision because they're worshiping Baal and they don't worship the Lord. And they're the people of God. They're the sense of, of uh, Abraham. So in their economy and in their covenant, they were to look to the Lord and be dependent upon the Lord. He would then provide for them. And he was so personal in their life because when they're doing the right thing, they're the head, not the tail. They've got the early rain. They've got the harvest. Here come the Midianites. God protects them. And here's their increase and they're prosperous people. In fact, with the good kings, there are seasons of prosperity where everything was going good. Solomon had a very prosperous time for decades where things went really well until he turned his back on the Lord. And then he was harassed from different corners. And by the time he dies, within one generation, his gold shields are stolen by Pharaoh. And they're replaced by his son Rehoboam with bronze shields. It's a regression, a degeneration. And that's what can happen from generation to generation. We're actually seeing it right now in the United States of America, that same type of thing. But the United States of America is not in a covenant with God. And the covenant the church has with Jesus Christ, his church, is not the same as this covenant. So that's why I give you this context that we understand this is the tithe for them. Now, Jesus talked about the tithe, but we know that the tithe is an element of the law. And the New Testament makes it very clear that we're not under the tithe. So the tithe is a great principle, but I would never tell you the tithe is something that God commands of us or expects of us in the New Testament church. In fact, that can be kind of a legal relationship, almost like the government wanting your taxes. God is never in the business of being big government and taxing us to demand the tithe in that way. Because God loves a cheerful giver, and he doesn't want us to give begrudgingly. And so in the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, we, we aren't in the same type of legal relationship that way. We're in a legal relationship with Caesar, with your state taxes and federal taxes, right? Can I get a witness? Amen. Yes. All right. But not so with the Lord. And we're in a loving relationship with the Lord, not a legal relationship. And it's not our wealth that's God's after. It's our heart, because really everything we have is from the Lord. And one of the great challenges of the human experience for a believer in Jesus Christ is to truly trust the Lord with their health and their wealth. Because in the end, we're going to lose our health. and We're going to die and we're going to lose our wealth and leave it behind. 
And if you can get from point A to point B in the journey and truly have sown bountifully and let go of all things and really committed to the Lord, you're going to be good. And one only need look like Job from the book of Job, even before the new covenant, where in one day thieves took his wealth. Don't forget the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. They came and they took his wealth. They took everything he had and his children died on the same day and his wife told him to curse God. And he didn't see it as it's about the Sabaeans taking my wealth. He saw it as being it's from the Lord. And he said to his wife, you know, we praise him when it's been good. Can't we bless him when it's not good? That's what he said to his wife. He said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came from the womb and naked I'll return. And so it is. So as we think about these things, I bring you back to that last passage in this text. That last verse where it says, it explains what to do and there's a conclusion where it says that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. That's like a therefore. It doesn't say therefore, but there could be a therefore there because that's the concluding thought. You see, in verse 22, coming back to the tithe for the second time in these three chapters, it says this, this, you will truly tithe. Like, you know, it's sincere. It's not like you're doing just something like, again, like big government or whatever, but it's sincere. You, you got the right perspective on it. And there's the place, he said, in the place that the Lord tells you to, verse 23. So we see this idea that, you know, it's like it's a sincere act of worship. It's in the place that God sets up. And it's a good thing. And then as he goes through these checkpoints of that, you'll fear the Lord, that you'll rejoice with your household, and that you're going to bless these people. Then it says that the Lord your God may bless you. So there's three things that's touched on here. And then there's a blessing pronounced upon them. In the case of their covenant, but certainly the principles apply to people of faith from before the time of Christ and since the time of Christ, the church. Because this is exactly what the New Testament writers had in mind when they said that he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So how much do you want to reap is how much you want to sow. And God loves a cheerful giver. And I've said this many times when we get solicited for so many things in ministry or personally, I just decide, I just decide, like, do I want to, do I want to sow in this ministry or these people or these things? Do I want to support the Humane Society of Orange County? If I do, I can. I care about animals. If I want to do that, I can do that. I can walk the dog. I can give my money. That's my choice. I'm not going to do it out of obligation if I want to. The March of Dimes, whatever. Do I want to support this or that? Do I want to support these Christian ministries? Like, it's, it's from the Lord. And whatever you sow, do it cheerfully. If you want to give a large tip, do it cheerfully. If you don't, at least do it respectfully. Because that could be your kid, depending on that extra income from the tips. Right? But, like, the idea is that we're never begrudging. And Mr. Foster, Jeremy and I, who's no longer here, but we used to say all the time, like, we'd look at something like Jeremy's like, I'm feeling obligated. I go, me too. And then, all right, move on. We never wanted to give when we felt obligated. We'd be like, no, I'm, feel, I'm feeling this. Me too. Let's, let's sign that check. I'm feeling good about this. See, that's the idea. Like when you feel begrudging, when someone corners you outside of a store and says, hey, give me some money. Like, I don't really want to. You know, you don't have to. But if you see somebody like, hey, I want to bless that person, then go bless them. It's that simple. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, after he said, I've learned to abound and to abase, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, you know, you were able to meet my needs and that's awesome. But it's not so much that I'm dependent upon that because I'm good with the Lord, but it's good for you. I want the blessing upon you, and my God is able to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So he made very clear right there that Paul's like, hey, I appreciate your giving, but God's going to give one way or the other. And for you, it's good because there's a blessing in it. I want you to be blessed. Not that I want it to be reckoned to your account is exactly what he said there in Philippians chapter 4. 
And whenever I give generously, I feel like this is reckoned to my account. Or people give to the ministry generously, or we sow bountifully generously to different ministries and things. It's, it's reckoned to our account. Recently, as we invested in some churches that have weathered some pretty tough storms in Los Angeles, and we sowed bountifully, we gave to strengthen the church in Los Angeles that has been through more than any of us here in Orange County really, truly understand or know. It's been really tough on the churches in Los Angeles. So it's good for us. And that's how we look at it. That's how I look at my personal life. That's how we look at it as a church, and that's how we should. So as we think like, okay, therefore that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. Don't we all want to be blessed in everything we do? Like, don't you really? Let's, let's, be, let's, let's be real right here. Don't you really want to be blessed in all that you do? Now, God, Jesus is saying yesterday and forever, so it's not like he's going to change his character. So don't you really want to be blessed in everything that you do? Because that's the wording here, and all scripture is profitable. So don't we want to be blessed in everything that we do? Not some of the things, but everything that we do. And again, this is an incredibly generous church. Extremely generous. So this isn't more like an exhortation, but a reflection for our future in an uncertain time, for sure. In the principle of putting the Lord first with our finances, he said there, we saw that in uh, verse 23, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God, always. Now, in their context, we saw obey the Lord, get rain. Disobey the Lord, get famine. That's what God literally said to them in their covenant. He will always get our attention when it's dealing with our finances. If something's happening with your finances, you, you perk up. You know, my dad being in assisted living, you know, he was, he was kind of cruising, doing good. And then we had some issues with his finances, some attempted hacks and everything. Man, I'll tell you what, he's in the moment when you're talking about his money. What? Now what happened? Tell me again. It's like, he's just over here in a happy place. And all of a sudden, dad, something happened. No, wait a second. Tell, what now? You know, like he's, he's right there in the moment. And that's how we are. You can be all over the place, fuzzy wuzzy at 90. And you just think someone's taking your money. Now say that again. That's it within us. We're we're like that. Nothing gets our attention like something with finances that are of hardship or whatever. Now, the Lord will often reveal himself to us through finances. He'll reveal himself to us uh, miraculously to provide certain ways. Or he might refrain or restrain money to protect us from something he doesn't want us involved in or just to get our attention. So when he provides for us, like Elijah, if you know the story of Elijah, he was there at the brook Cherith during the time of Ahab hiding. The water was there at the brook Cherith. They had the water, and the, and the crows brought the food every day for him. Supernatural provision, and God provided for him. But then there came a point where the brook dried up, and the crows quit coming, and he knew it was time to move on. And, and God will do those things. He'll provide, and then he won't. How about the widow with the oil, the, the miraculous oil? The oil, the oil for every day of the famine, the day the famine's over, no more oil. Just like the manna, 40 years of manna this side of the river, the moment they cross over, no more manna. Like, God knows what we need, when we need, how long we need it. When we were in Vermont, there was a family that was doing quite well here in California that I knew from my surfing days, and they sent us a, a pretty strong check every month for every month that we are in Vermont. And it was so important for us in our needs. We never solicited, because we never do, but it really helped us stay there to do the ministry 
But eventually, other elements affected us, and we knew that we could not stay and live in Vermont and continue that church. What most people don't know when I talk about Vermont and Calvary Chapel Burlington is we would have stayed if we could have stayed. But the brook dried up, and the crows quit bringing the bread. And we had to come back to California. I did not want to come back to California. Even when we were there in Vermont, it was so beyond us working in minimum wage at the hotel and all that stuff. But at the same time, when God made it clear that we had to come back, there was a time we were there, and you know the story where I complained, working all day for eight hours and having $17 in tips. $17. So I'm driving home the 10-minute drive between the Sheraton Hotel and where we live in North Burlington. $17. $17. Eight hours, $17. That's like, that's barely two bucks an hour, you know? And I was complaining. Then I get home, and there's a check in our, the mail for $170 from someone we've never known, never heard of, never heard of again, never send us money again. Now, even if you're a little slow, let me tell you, I've seen a lot of tithe checks at Big Calvary in here. I don't think I've ever seen another check for $170. People write a $100 check, a $50 check, a $2 check, a $100,000 check. But $170 is a very random amount on the same day that you got $17 and you're complaining about it all the way home. Now, what are the laws of compound probability that I get $17? I've never gotten $17 a day's wage before or since in my entire life. Multiply that by the years I've lived, the days I've lived. Then a check in the mail from a stranger you've never heard of, who did, I don't even know how they knew my address or address, for 10 times that amount. On the same day, I'm complaining about the $17. That's the beauty of the Lord speaking to us through finances. That he's got this. And it's all a test. And it's never about the money. It's always about the heart. For where the treasure is, the heart will follow. And if the heart's in faith and the heart's in heaven, then it's just fun lessons like $17, $170. Like, well, I'm a little slow and a little upset, but $17, that's a really, that's the greatest coincidence of my lifetime. Or this is very personal from the Lord. And then we have the story in my own life where I would go buy gas at night with pennies because you don't buy gas when everyone else is in line with pennies. And I bought the gas with the pennies. And then the next day I got a call from these people I barely knew. And they said they wanted to give me money. So that's great. Good timing. My devotion was Elijah and that whole story of the ravens. I'm drop off Timmy at the daycare over at Santa Fe Christian there in Encinitas. I'm driving down the road by San Diego High School. And the crow flies next to me with the bagel in his mouth for 100 yards looking at me. Now, that is the strangest thing ever. I'm like, uh, uh. I'm like, but wait, it's a crow with a bagel. And I just read. I was like. Hello. And then I went out to San Marcos to get this check. The check was for thousands of dollars after buying gas with pennies. So I tell you, our God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And God loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver. And it's never about the money. It's about the faith and the heart. But in our own lives, you have testimony and stories too. Like, oh, how are we going to do this? And it comes through. I'm telling you, it all gets redistributed. So if you're in a financial crux, God can make a stranger write you a check for $170 or call you and say, we're going to give you this check. You're hoping for a couple hundred thousands. Like, you just don't know. But like, don't limit God. Because all these people with all this wealth fighting God, they die and the wealth stays behind. And Ecclesiastes tells us, guess what? It gets given to someone else. Solomon said he'll take it from the rich man who didn't serve him and leaves it behind, and he'll give it to someone who does serve him who's still left behind. And a living dog's better than a dead lion. Ecclesiastes. 
So in this situation, we see that they would fear the Lord in the sense that they would, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, it all goes together that there's a dependency upon God in heaven to be our provider. Now, some of you are really smart and very successful at making money. In fact, we're very high proportionate that way in this congregation. So praise the Lord that God has done these things in your life, that you can be extremely successful in how to make money and large sums of money. Some of you have prospered beyond measure, but we don't ever want to say, like, this is of me. Like, oh, look what I've done. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, wow, Babylon, what a great thing. What happens? He goes, nothing. He's eating grass for seven seasons until he learns that the Lord's the one who provides. Even, even the king of Babylon had to learn that lesson. So we don't ever want to say, like, I did this. We always want to be that the Lord provides for us. Now, the younger people, we have young couples that come to church here, and we have young couples that have grown up here and moved on and done different things. And it's a process to learn to trust the Lord with your wealth. It really is. But he'll meet us where we're at. And from the lessons that we learned a long time ago, you always want to take your needs to the Lord. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.